When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. All right, it's film study with music. It's been a while since we've done one of these, but it's playoff time, so it's time to do a new Know Your Foe episode. Ken McCusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing good, and I'm excited to talk with Sam, who covers the Chargers for The Athletic. Uh, you know I'm, I've said many times how much I love The Athletic, and I love our local writers, so I'm sure Sam is just as good. So, Sam, welcome to the program. <laughs> Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. Very cool talking to you, Sam. Uh, Ken McCusick here. Uh, 
we're going to want to talk about the Chargers game a little bit. We know we don't have an unlimited amount of time here, but we wanted to talk to someone who has an analytics background and can talk about some of the things that, at, at some level of depth. Our, our listeners tend to like a little bit deeper conversation, so you don't feel like you're going to go over their head ever. And if something I feel needs explanation, we'll, we'll backfill as needed. So uh, just, to, just to start it off, obviously the Chargers and Ravens have just met. Uh, two weeks ago. So a lot of this, the Ravens fans are familiar with some of the Chargers personnel, certainly that, that played or had something exceptional happen in that first game. Uh, we want to really catch up to where the Chargers are since then. Obviously, they're the number five seed in the wild card, but maybe if you could bring us up on injury status and what's going on otherwise with the roster. Right. So I think the first thing to know is that the Chargers are actually pretty healthy at this point of the year. Um, they lost their linebacker, their will linebacker, uh, their main run stopper, Jatavis Brown. He um, had a right angle injury last week uh, against Denver. And the Chargers didn't play super well against Denver. It was a really ugly game, but a defensive touchdown, and, and the offense figured it out enough uh, to come away with a 23-9 win uh, to close out the regular season. But like I said, the Chargers, they've had a lot of run defense injuries. Their starting will linebacker got hurt in week 10. Um, so where the Chargers are at is is that they are thin in a position that against the Ravens, I think, is, is a big concern. Okay, I understood. And and uh, that is one of the questions I really want to get to on the defense, and we'll talk about it a little later, is, is how do they line up and how do they – uh, fill that hole. We'll get. We'll come back to that in a minute. I think a, a primary concern also on the injury front is the return of Hunter Henry and Austin Eckler. Right, Austin Eckler, uh, the neck injury. He came back last week. Um, he actually sustained that against Cincinnati. Um, Cincinnati tried to onside a kick late in the game, uh, and one of their gunners, you know, hit him in the helmet before the ten yards were up, and he had stepped forward before ten yards uh, to try to eliminate that. So that's it, it was a frustrating injury for him. He's he came back last week. He looked 100 um, percent. He was a limited participant on Wednesday in practice, but uh, I assume that's just a protection measure. He'll be back 100 um, percent. They're just getting his timing down. That's why they had him play in the last week of the regular season uh, with Hunter Henry. In my opinion, um, I mean, this guy hasn't hasn't set, set foot on a football field since April. Um, we're really not sure what he's going to bring back. But to me the risk slash reward of bringing someone back after tearing their ACL in the preseason is already worth it. John Harbaugh said today in his press conference, he devoted a lot of time on Tuesday to studying Hunter Henry on film. So whether or not, you know, Anthony Lynn, the Chargers head coach said that Hunter Henry will be on a snap count. Um, I would imagine you'll see 10 to 15 snaps maximum. I'm not sure how effective he'll be. Like I said, it's been a while, but the fact that John Harbaugh had to devote his time to looking at this guy because he's a weapon if he is out there, that to me says enough about his potential, about what the Ravens think of him, that even entertaining the idea of bringing him back off the off the pup list, which he's been on since training camp, um, has been worth it already. Yeah, uh, very, very cool. The Ravens certainly familiar with the concept in terms of the limited usage, usage of Lamar Jackson early in the year and how other defensive coordinators were going crazy trying to figure out how they were going to defend him on a, even a limited basis early. Uh, Okay, Austin, Austin Eckler, obviously, a big part of the running game, potentially. Now, the, the Chargers have some some options. Uh, Melvin Gordon, I don't know if – would you say he's 100% now? 
Uh, I would not say 100%. I would say maybe 85, 90, but we talked to him in his locker today. And, you know, this is the first playoff game he's ever going to have in his career. This is his fourth season. And it was like, are you going to play? Are you going to be 100%? He just looked at us all and he said, yep. Like, do not, you know, in a sort of a do not doubt me vibe. Um, and he's, he's a competitor. He wants to play every game. So I would imagine we won't see him slowed down at all. All right. All right. Uh, now, of course, we wouldn't be thorough if we didn't talk about some of Philip Rivers' recent difficulties in terms of the passing game and the interceptions. Right. Philip Rivers came into this season, actually came into last season, uh, the 2017 season. The Chargers had a new coach. They were in L.A. They hired Anthony Lynn. And one of Anthony Lynn's biggest um, mandates, he's a Parcells disciple, and one of Bill Parcells' main tenants is do not beat yourself. If you're going to lose, let the other team beat you. And one of those biggest things is, is turnovers. And he, uh, there are a lot of coaches in the NFL now who believe this with as much passing as there is. But Anthony Lynn said, we need to curb our turnovers. And the year before, 2016, Phillip Rivers led the league with 21 interceptions. And there was definitely some friction between those two players uh, as – as between the coach and the quarterback as they tried to get on the same page. But it was very difficult for them to, because Phillip Rivers just, he's, you know, he's been doing it a long time. He wants to do it his own way. And that was difficult for Anthony Lynn to get him to kind of respond to, but he responded with 10 interceptions, um, you know, more than having his total. And then this year it's been an even bigger battle for him. Um, he has six interceptions in the last Two game in the last three games, which equals the number that he had in the first 14 weeks. But it's been it's been a challenge really for uh, for Anthony Lynn and Philip Rivers. This is what you're seeing is basically the push and pull of the quarterback Philip Rivers has always been, and the quarterback Anthony Lynn wants him to be um, the conservative dink and dunk kind of guy. And Philip Rivers is a gunslinger by nature, so you're kind of seeing the push and pull. And, and Philip has not made some good throws recently. Um, so the most interesting thing, I think, for Sunday is which quarterback you're going to get. Okay, so I, uh, looking back, and, and uh, you might have seen me going back to my short score sheet from the last game, I would say the first, both of the interceptions, honestly, were forced errors to a degree. The first one was on a quarterback hit by Suggs. The other one was late in the game. And frankly, it was a great interception by Humphrey, uh, ball skills-wise, to take it away on a pass that really they had to get into the end zone very quickly to have any chance to even kick an onside kick and have a small chance to get back in the game. Uh, has that been the case with most of these recent six interceptions, or has he had some real unforced errors as well? Uh, I would say he's had some unforced errors as well. And and the Ravens game was the second. He's thrown a first-drive interception the last three games now. Um, and it's just a, it's quintessential. Sometimes it's just a bad throw. Uh, there have been a couple actually that should have been picked off. You know, he'll throw it behind his receiver underneath, or you know, he'll try to force something deep in a double coverage. It's it's quintessential Philip when you see him trying to do too much. That he'll you know this has kind of been the hamstring of his whole career. He'll get emotional. He'll say, I mean, earlier this year, uh, the Chargers got behind the Rams uh, by two touchdowns. And Philip talked about this on the radio. He said he had to say to himself, don't do this. Don't don't try to do this. Don't try to get all these points back on one play and end up throwing an interception or two and, and one goes back for a touchdown you blow the game open. So that has really been the core struggle, the core conflict of Philip Rivers' season. And, and that is, I mean, if the, if the Ravens can put him down early, if, the, if they can get Philip, you know, in a one, two score 
deficit early. Um, I think you might see a little bit of that because Philip understands, you know, he's been, you know, he's always barking at the refs, but this year he seemed even more frenetic, more desperate. And, and I, we saw that in Seattle. We saw that as they got down in Baltimore. And I think that's because he understands. And he said a few times this year, I don't know how many times I'm going to get to go play there. I don't know how many times I'm going to get to do this again. He mm-hmm. understands the the end is coming. And this is probably the most talented roster he's had since the LaDainian Tomlinson years. Sure. Yeah. Well, I remember when the 2016 came to Baltimore, and it was one of Rivers' first starts. He, he was taking over for Breeze that year. And uh, game, week four of the year, they came to Baltimore. And that was, a, that was a hell of a franchise, certainly, at that exact point with both Turner and Tomlinson there. All right, well, uh, looking at Rivers and, and, and mentioning what you did, the, the Ravens have had the M.O. of getting ahead with, with Jackson. In fact, they've only been behind by a maximum of eight points any time during the Jackson starting period now. So he hasn't yet faced that adversity. And the Ravens, certainly M.O., has been lean on the other team defensively, lean on them offensively by keeping the ball uh, when you when you have the lead. And the Ravens have been effective at, at doing that. So some of this has to go, and let's start with how the Ravens are going to, how the Chargers are going to be different on defense. What, what are the Chargers going to be able to do to stop the run without Jatavis Brown? Uh, I mean, that's a great question. That's something I think that the Chargers themselves are trying to figure out. Um, I was talking to a couple of the linebackers. Well, so here's the thing. I mean, the Chargers, when they go sub packages, their Mike linebacker is 206 pounds. And Derwin James, the rookie safety, his name is Adrian Phillips. Mm -hmm. Derwin James, the rookie safety, was telling me, uh, he was like, there is not another Mike in the league that's 206 pounds. And with Jatavis Brown going out, I think what you're going to see is Hayes Pollard, uh, who they signed off the street. I mean, he was on the team last year, but they signed him off the street um, in November after Denzel Perriman, their starting will, got hurt. I mean, this team, and I mean, even they used Rayshon Jenkins, another safety who's about, I think 210, something like that, uh, at at that position um, late in the game against Denver. So this team is really going to, str- I think, struggle to stop the run if if the Baltimore backs can get into that second level. And Anthony Lynn said today, he said, I, I know that that's going to be a problem, so we're really going to lean on our defensive line. You're going to have Brandon Meebane up front. You're going to have uh, Justin Jones. Um, you're going to have J- Joey Bosa. You're going to have... Uh, uh, Melvin Ingram on the edges. You're going to have Phylon in there. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be really important on those guys to get into the backfield and really try to create a first level um, resistance and to try to shut down the Baltimore running game because they understand that uh, that they're hurt back there. That is it is something I've seen smaller teams do against the Ravens when they've really had a good offensive line, which their offensive line is okay this year, but it's not top tier. And when they've really had a good offensive line in the past and they face smaller defenses like the Colts in particular, they use a very run-blitz-heavy attack. And I thought that that was something they might try. The other thing that I've seen hypothesized is that it might be Melvin Ingram moving to stand up in this game out of desperation. I mean, obviously they need him as a pass rusher, but some of that effectiveness is gone with Lamar Jackson. You know, is it, so would you, would you entertain the idea of moving him inside and using him there instead? Right. I think that's actually one of the things they feel more comfortable doing because when Joey Bosa was out earlier in the year, they took Damian Square, one of their inside guys, and they shifted him outside. And to create pressure, because they were struggling to without Bosa, um, they shifted – 
Damian outside, they shifted Melvin inside, and they've done that a lot this year with just playing around with different guys in different positions along their defensive line to try to create a, a pass rush, and as well as bringing Derwin James down into the box um, and, and things of that nature. So I think what you're going to see is a lot of creativity on that defensive line. You're going to see Melvin inside. You might even see Joey inside, um, and you put Isaac Rochelle or someone like that on the outside. Mm-hmm. It's going to be uh, a creative – definitely – a challenge for the Chargers, and, and I expect to see them, because of what they did earlier in the year without Bosa, um, come with some some formations that you might not expect or might be a little unusual. Okay. Uh, we'll be interested to see that. Uh, it's something I'm sure the Ravens are trying to get ready for. We can't – seems seems like we cannot get by an episode this year without talking about Derwin James anyway. It's obviously <laughs> – he's a topic in, in Baltimore of just tremendous, uh, you know, discussed largely that the Ravens did not pick him at number 16 and and they traded trading the pick it would have been okay in my mind the problem with with it was that the Ravens got almost nothing more than a standard value for it when James a top five talent or maybe a top seven talent drops to number 16 and right into your lap and it doesn't exactly fit your needs so you don't take him but they they didn't get enough in trading that pick and and uh I honestly was was my big problem with letting it go if, if no if they won't if other teams won't give you the proper value go ahead and take derwin james james obviously had an, an amazing rookie year from reading the chargers board that i don't know if you completely agree with this but he can play basically any position on that defense which is not on the defensive line is what most of the posters mm-hmm. seem to think no I, the stats back that up so he's probably lined up i would say uh maybe 40 percent of the time at strong safety 50 percent of the time at strong safety he's played I want to say 10 to 15% at free safety. Uh, he can shift down to linebacker in their nickel and dime packages. And and when they had struggles, you know, getting a pass rush without Bosa, they would play him on the defensive line. This dude, other than maybe outside corner, has played every single spot um, in this defense. And it's been rather remarkable to see him step in and thrive right away like he has. Well, that, that you know, that was the question is, is what do you do with him? You have Lettle and Jefferson. You can't possibly get him to the defense. You build your defense around a talent like Dur- Derwin James. I mean, you, you will make it fit <laughs> or you'll make the rest of the players <laughs> fit around him. Anyway, uh, outstanding rookie year, obviously. And I, I was wondering, it, does it make sense for him to be a spy or does that waste his talents in a game like this against Jackson when he is one of the obviously the primary concerns is what Jackson can do to your whole defense in terms of getting them uh, – uh, not collapsing to the football the way they normally would. Right, and I think that's a great question that the Chargers are still trying to figure out as well. I know um, they did that a few times in, in the first meeting, but the problem with that is is Derwin really is is probably their best pursuit defender. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if, uh, if, if uh, Gus Edwards, you know, breaks one up the middle, they want Derwin – they want Derwin in pursuit. They want him always focused on who's coming out of the backfield to kind of put him, you know, not on on the heels of his feet, but if you get him out of that attack mode right away, um, I think they worry that they lose kind of one of the main natural advantages with him. I know um, in their sub packages against Cleveland, um, they had uh, Rayshon Jenkins, the the dime, uh, the dime safety. Sometimes he plays nickel linebacker too. Um, they had him spy Baker Mayfield a little bit, and that's something that I've heard. Um, Rayshon got a lot of run in Denver, I think, just to kind of see what they had to kind of keep him fresh and prepare him. So, And, and Rayshon is a very aggressive guy. He's fast, and, and the thing that they say in the locker room is about him, if, if Ray sees somebody, he's going to hit somebody. So I think uh, 
Rayshon Jenkins is a name that probably people don't know, but I would expect to see him a little bit more than usual um, if they do end up going spy on Lamar like that. Okay. And just going back to the, to the use of heavies and lights, as I would call them, but you, the, the dime defense is really a quarter defense, you're saying? If they've got uh, Adrian Phillips in at the Mike linebacker, that's really another safety at Mike linebacker. So they really have seven defensive backs on the field in that situation? Right. I think they would counter you and say that Adrian is really playing linebacker um, because, I mean, they trust I, – I know, I know you might not – uh, agree with that, but that is really what they see it as. They play dime. I think if you look at the numbers, like forty percent, it, it's it's significantly more than any other team in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because they they trust Adrian. Adrian is their most trusted defender. He has the green dot on his helmet. He's communicating with the defensive coordinator. He's getting everyone lined up, um, and they think that he has enough physicality really to to merit being a a Mike linebacker in sub packages. Um, <laughs> I, I know that that might be not a popular opinion um, around the league, but that is what they view him as. That's what defensive coordinator Gus Bradley views him as. Yeah, and you know what? It's it's the same with all defensive coordinators. They'll talk about the guy being a sub-packaged linebacker in terms of Anthony Levine, but they don't want to call him a, a, a safety playing. They, you know, he's he's not just a dime back. He's a he's a sub-packaged linebacker. So I, I I really don't like that distinction. It's we've we have a long history of dime play in Baltimore. And Ozzie Newsom has been great at finding these dimes. And occasionally, like in 2000, they played a lot of quarter. And it was the weird 3-1 quarter where they'd have a Mike linebacker still on the field and have seven defensive backs with just three linemen. But uh, a lot of people don't realize that about the 2000 defenses. It wasn't those starting 11 guys who really were playing most of the high leverage snaps. It was a lot of the, the nickel diamond quarter who nobody really knows or nobody really remembers who they are. But anyway, get back back to the Chargers because we really want to focus on that. So we've, we've talked a little bit about the run game here and 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 some of the things. So it sounds like Chargers might be a little light for this game. What, what do you do differently in terms of what you might give up on the back end to take more chances against the run? Or do you think that wouldn't be wise uh, in the second game against, against Lamar? I, I would expect mm-hmm. the Ravens are going to try to have more pass options in there for Lamar, expecting the Chargers to, to do more. Right, and I think that's why – this is exactly why um, Anthony Lynn talked about the importance of the defensive line in this game, and it kind of goes back to, to the Derwin James point. The Chargers took Derwin James knowing that this was not the right fit for them. They had a starting free safety in Jalen Watkins, and he got hurt. So Derwin – but the, and they tried to play Derwin at free, but they realized that really his strong suit is at strong – so they took their starting strong safety, Jaleel Adai, and they put him at free safety. And that has proven to be a very susceptible – of uh, uh, the weakest position on their defense undoubtedly, as you saw um, when Lamar threw that touchdown to the tight end in, in Los Angeles because Jaleel Adai is, is a strong safety and he's being asked to play out of position. But he allows, I would say, pr- at least one play a game, probably two or three – where if you can get someone in the second level, he will take a wrong angle. He will hesitate a little bit. And, mm. you know, like you saw with the tight end, that tight end, I believe it was Andrews, ran right yes. by him, ran right by him. And, you know, Philip Lindsay, when he gets in the hole, I mean, if you can get Jaleel Adai in space, you can beat him. And so the Chargers understand that that puts them in an incredibly vulnerable position. So I wouldn't expect them to bring more pressure and leave him more on an island. Um, it, it's really been a difficult proposition for them to stop the run with with lighter personnel but also not be able to bring more personnel because you have a susceptibility on the back end i would expect them to protect jaleel or try to protect jaleel as much as they can um and and i just i just don't see a scenario in which the chargers 
alternate or alter their scheme wildly from what they have been doing uh, because so he's back there. If Die is, is has a lot of problems on the back end, does the Chargers' other personnel, the remaining personnel, outstanding corners and great outside pass rushers being the primary, does it allow for some cover zero looks that you can, if, if the guy's not going to help you on the back end, you may as well bring him up and, and try and use him against the run? They've been hesitant to do that so far this season, and I'm not sure it's a philosophical thing for Gus Bradley or, or what, but I, I do know that they have been hesitant to go cover zero. Um, and, and like you said, they have the personnel to do it. They have uh, Desmond King even in the slot corner, one of the better slot corners in the league. Um, but it's just – it's been something that – you know, except for certain situations, maybe a, a third and short when, you know, the personnel on the offense indicates that they might be able to. Mm -hmm. It's it's not something that they've done, you know, on a first or second down, even on a, you know, on a third and six or something like that, and a third and medium. It's just not something they've, they've been willing um, to do often here. Okay. All right. Well, very interesting. Uh, well, let's talk about the offense now. We, we'll, we'll get over there. In the first game, the striking thing to me, we went out to L.A. for the game, but uh, the striking thing to me was how poorly the Chargers' offensive line played in the game. And they, they really seemed to have – they had a lot of trouble picking up the the, the proper uh, blitzers when they rushed. Tevi at right tackle looked absolutely awful in the game. Uh, has anything changed to make that better? Feeney also at left guard didn't look particularly good to me. Right, and that's something – I think Feeney is – is the player that uh, the fans have really kind of seized on or the, the guy, you know, why is, why is he still in there? There's been a lot of questions. Sam Tevy is really your only option at right tackle. They had Joe Barksdale as a starter there earlier in the season. Um, but the chargers actually released him after he didn't regain his spot back. And there was, um, I would say some personality conflicts there. Um, so they, they actually released him after I want to say week 14. Um, but the thing that in the Chargers locker room has talked about this, a lot of the problems that they had um, was that they did not anticipate the pick stunts that Baltimore was going to bring. And they brought them very consistently. I know Russell Okung, the left tackle um, talked about, you know, he compared pick stunts to the pick and roll play in basketball a linebacker will set a screen on the offensive lineman and the defensive tackle or the edge rusher will roll around. Um, they really had a problem with that, and they did not anticipate the level to which – I think Baltimore – I don't think they would anticipate the volume, but they also didn't ex uh, anticipate how well they would execute them. Um, and so that, I know, has been a major point of emphasis this week in terms of how the Chargers are preparing. I know – I mean, they understand that Baltimore's not going to come out and run all the pick stunts that they did before, or they're going to mm -hmm. maybe invert them or something like that. But um, that was the main problem that they had in, in, in protection, and I think – there, there has not been any movement on the offensive line. This is the same personnel that they've had all year, pretty much, um, aside from the Barksdale-Tevy um, switch up. And, and really, Barksdale got hurt in the first quarter of the you know week one, so it's really been Tevy the whole way. Um, right. And this group is is going to stay together for for as long as they have. Okay, so looking looking back at that game, and one of the things I do is I count all those pressure events and whatnot. Seven stunts in that first game by the Ravens, which is it's it's kind of a lot. It's not every down or not. I, we certainly have seen more. Um, they did use sixteen blitzers from off the line of scrimmage, which is a high number. But what I noticed more than in other games is they put a little bit heavier numbers against Rivers: sixteen five man rushes and one six versus twenty four fours out of forty one, and they were. I mean, everything worked, obviously, when they when the Ravens only allowed 3.6 yards per pass. 
but it was only 2.7 yards per pass with with five, and the one pass with six was incomplete. Uh, so I, I, I'm interesting that that they that the pick stunts are are specifically picked out of there as ones. I know there was the the one that uh, Awasu was the underneath guy on Urban's looping over for the sack was a was a was a pick. There were two though where Awasu just beat Melvin Gordon, and I, so I wanted to ask you about him as a pass blocker too, in terms of what he what you think he provides. Right, I think that. For, for him was sort of a, or, or he views it as a, as a rust moment. In in general, Melvin Gordon is a pretty good, um, a pretty good pass blocker. Austin Eckler as well. Austin Eckler a little, a little shakier, but Melvin Gordon kind of prides himself on his pass block. I mean, he sees himself as a, as a physical back first, a receiver second, but pass blocking is something he's talked about. That's important to him. And usually this season he he's done, you know, pretty well. Uh, that for me was sort of an aberration. I know I can remember two plays where Baltimore got either a two guys or a guy and a half kind of slipping off a block that presented problems for him. Um, and I, and I, you know, I think that sort of maybe threw him off his game, but I know that's something that he is, he talked about as, as needing really himself to improve on before this game is, is that pass blocking. Okay. All right. Well, that'll be interesting. I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, Tell us also maybe what you think we'll see differently in terms of the passing game. Will, will Rivers be trying to get the ball off quicker, shorter passes, more tight end usage, more backs? Uh, will he be trying to take advantage vertically of the defense like Mayfield did? I know with an, a defensive aggressive as the Ravens, they're going to want to have more action out of the backfield with, with running backs. And I think this is where Austin Eckler's return really is going to be a big factor. The Chargers are at their best, and and kind of Phillip Rivers is at his most calm. You know, he's not trying to slant when the Chargers' offense is balanced. And obviously, when you're taking sacks uh, on first and second down, when you're getting pushed back and you're creating third and longs, you you get unbalanced. And and I think that's what the Ravens did probably most effectively was unbalance the Chargers' offense because that's where – I mean, the Chargers have scored – they did until the Ravens game. They scored 20 points in every game all season. And for them, they – they got thrown off. They got punched in the mouth, um, and they just weren't comfortable having to throw it as much as as they had. You know, for Rivers, Rivers, that's a kind of a throwback to when he used to throw it around the yard all game. But when you can't run the ball with Gordon, uh, when you can't run the ball with Eckler because you're you know you're so far away from the sticks, that is what kind of throws them off. So Eckler coming back, he's a big part of the pass game. You know, swing pass out of the out of the backfield or you know those delay routes. I think that's what you're going to see mostly from him and what the Chargers hope that when the Ravens do bring extra pressure, they can exploit that. All right. All right. Definitely a lot of teams have found the weakness in the middle of the field, particularly in level two, not level three uh, for the Ravens. I think they, they, they bring a very strong coverage player on third down, and Anthony Levine, but, but on, on the other downs, they, Owasu has been vulnerable to passes, and, and so is Mosley, although Mosley appears healthier now and certainly delivered the big play this last week. Uh, okay. Well, uh, what else would you say about the, about the defense in terms of, or sorry, in terms of the offense, in terms of what might, you know, what you would foresee for this game? Offensive coordinator, Ken Wisenhunt always has something up his sleeve. Sometimes it works. He tried to double reverse last week in a, in a big moment, trying to catalyze the offense and it lost 21 yards. And I mean, even the charges were up three or four scores on Arizona coming out of halftime. And the first play he ran out of halftime was this, again, a double reverse from Eckler to Gordon and Gordon actually got hit 
um, and sustained a knee injury that kept him out for the next three or four weeks. So, and, and sometimes, you know, it'll pay off with, uh, you know, with a Phillip Rivers uh, delay pass over, um, uh, over on a wheel route or something like that. Like he, he does run sort of those trick plays that, that succeed, but it's been, it's been a more miss th- than hit. And I think he can try to get too cute sometimes is, is sort of how I think players might describe it. Um, so I think that's something to keep in, to keep in watch, to keep in mind uh, for the Chargers offense. Um, but other than that, I think sort of in the same way that the the Ravens are, are going to run and they're just going to try to smash, play smash mouth football. And, and I know they're going to probably, like you said, try to get Lamar more involved in passing. But I think the Chargers, they want to remain balanced. They might get too cute sometimes, um, but it's really, it's really the diversity of, of options that they have. You know, they're going to line up Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, and Tyrell Williams. They're going to line them up all different sides, all different spots um, on the field. I mean, Keenan will be inside, Mike will be inside, Tyrell will be inside, and that's something that the the position, the receiver group prides itself on is their ability to run run those different uh, run those different sets like that. Mm-hmm. So what they have, I think they're betting on their talent to just be better than your defense, um, which obviously seems like a pretty scary proposition when um, we saw what happened last time they tried to do that against the Baltimore defense. Yeah, well, they, they, one of the things the Ravens don't really do ever, they've done it maybe a couple times this season, is chase corner after receiver. So, uh, you know, you'll see all three guys on one side. Of course, if all three receivers are on one side, but otherwise it's Jimmy Smith is the right corner. It's Humphrey is the left corner or Carr if he's in, and the slot corner is either Young or Carr. Uh, and, and the other thing that I, is very unusual about the Ravens defense is they have a tremendous amount of rotation at all three levels. Now, normally you see it on the defensive line where, you, where you know, there's a rotation of snaps and oftentimes there'll be a stair step of snaps up from players who are used less up to the players who are used the most and you're relying on. The Ravens very even on the defensive line and very few snaps for everybody. Uh, they rotate it at the will linebacker. They have one of the most productive platoons in terms of playmaking and rotating a corner in December. Whoever heard of this? I mean, every team's out of corners and the Ravens have six guys who can play on the roster right now. So I think that's the most exciting. That's the reason I'm most excited about the Ravens entering the playoffs is I think their secondary is in really good shape. So we'll, we'll see how that works out. Um, we ought to probably talk some form of prediction in here, but I, you know, I don't want to predict game scores. That's, that's, you know, I don't think probably what you want to do either. Um, <laughs> Is is there a bold prediction for a player you would make in this game? I, I would expect Austin Eckler to have uh, a significant. I I don't want to put a number on it, but I would say a significant contribution. Uh, maybe I'll just say maybe fifty yards, seventy five yards. Um, uh, not even total. I think out of the passing game, I think they're really going to lean on him um, as, as a receiver. And I know I know people might think, oh, you know, you have Keenan, you have Tyrell, you have Mike, you have Melvin Gordon, but I really think with Austin getting his timing back. Um, and, and, and this is, you know, his neck injury, I think is something that doctors have told him, you know, it could be, it could be better today and it could be worse tomorrow. So if Austin Eckler is hundred percent, I would expect to see him uh, heavily utilized to kind of change the pace, to bring that balance that the chargers want. And I, and it is kind of a bold prediction because, you know, he hasn't played um, since Cincinnati in, in, in week 14 or he, he played last week, but in, in a limited role, but I would expect to see him. I don't want to say a breakout game, but I would expect to see a more uh, a more involved game for him um, than you might otherwise expect. Okay. All right. Very good. Um, one thing that came up briefly is the schedule. Uh, do you feel any 
Anything about the way the NFL has scheduled this game in terms of it being, A, on Sunday, which is probably better for the Chargers, but B, at 1 o'clock, which is probably worse for the Chargers? Yeah, that's something that I think a lot of fans here are upset about because, I mean, everybody knows the Chargers fan base is, is fractured. I mean, uh, there are bitter San Diegans. Obviously, there are fewer bitter San Diegans now that the Chargers are playing well, but if you want to grow the game in Los Angeles and if you, and if you really are invested in making football and in, in kind of your headquarters happen, um, the right move is, is not putting a game at 10 AM. Uh, because I mean, that's, you're not going to get the fans out to the bar. You're not going to get, you know, kind of that camaraderie. You're not going to build, you're not going to have, you're not going to have a guy out to lunch, um, and just say, Oh, the, the Chargers are on TV. I know that's been a serious issue. Um, I think fans, uh, feel a little not betrayed but they feel a little upset because the NFL has said you know we are committed to growing the game here and then they do something like that that is very counterintuitive um to really to actually fulfilling that goal okay so there's if you look at the four time slots available there's only one that really seemed to benefit the Chargers and that would have been the late spot on Sunday but playing either Saturday game means you know a, a the kind of stress that was put on the Ravens, frankly, with that freaking flex game in week 16, uh, you know, to, to give the Chargers a nine day rest before the game and the, where the Ravens are working on six. I mean, it's an absurd piece of scheduling, frankly, if they if the league had done to that, wouldn't don't you think the Chargers would have had the same kind of gripes, Chargers fans being either game on Saturday, even at three thirty, you're playing a noon game. That would have been fine, I guess. But but uh, uh, how would you feel about about playing on Saturday at three thirty as opposed to playing on Sunday at one? No, absolutely, and I think you know, logistic-wise, they. I, I would say that Chargers fans might might have a little bit of uh, something to say about that, but I don't think the Chargers themselves would have been all that upset. They, after a four, you know, two and a half days rest, they went into uh, Kansas City and won on a Thursday night. So I think this team is really uh, kind of ambivalent. They like playing on the road, um, which I mean, a lot of teams say that. But I actually believe this team uh, because they're eight zero when they get on a plane. Um, they've really done a remarkable job of, you know, rising to the occasion. They, they've won in Seattle. They've won at Pittsburgh. They've won uh, at Kansas City. I mean, some of the toughest venues to play in this league. They have gone and uh, and even on short rest, as you've seen. Um, so I think if they had had a, if they had had a Saturday game, the team. I don't think would have been phased. I don't think would have been phased. Uh, but the fans are, were another story. Okay. All right. Well, outstanding information, Sam. I appreciate you sharing all this on the Chargers. Uh, anything you'd like to plug while you're here? Uh, just theathletic.com. I know uh, it's a subscription, but right now we got a we got a trial going on. Um, just tweet at me. I'm at Sam four T R S A M four T R, and we can get you get we can get you started on there. I know. Uh, as you guys said, you're big fans of The Athletic, which we appreciate. Uh, but that's really the, the only thing I can plug. All right. Okay. Hey, uh, Sam, we do have a few questions that came in today in the mailbag about this game. You want to stick around and uh, yeah, answer a few absolutely. of these? Some of them are directed exactly uh, right at you. So okay. So just a few we'll go through. The first one up is with from a uh, guy on Twitter, Big Dilly. And he wants to know, uh, I've seen some talk of Rivers punching his ticket to the Hall of Fame if he can make the Super Bowl this year. Uh, how do you feel about that? And if he doesn't make it, does that keep him out of the super, out of the Hall of Fame? I mean, if you ask fans around here, they think he's already punched his ticket to the Hall of Fame anyway. Um, I don't think it's contingent on him making the Super Bowl to to get that Hall of Fame nod. 
Um, I think the longevity for me, I mean, I know he doesn't have the Super Bowl rings, but kind of how you've seen the career of, of, of some of his peers, you know, Eli Manning, what, what, what he's done this year, I think rivers sustainability and the fact that he's playing arguably his best career at, at 37 years old um, to me suggests that he is, he's an elite quarterback and, and well on his way to the hall of fame anyway. Um, but I would say, I mean, obviously it would tremendously strengthen his case if he were to make his Super Bowl this year. Um, but I, I don't think it's necessary. And I'm not saying he's a lock, but I'm saying I think he, he would deserve strong consideration anyway. Sure. Uh, and you were just talking a few minutes ago about the fact of the Chargers getting eight wins on the road. Um, why Is there any other reason to why the Chargers are so good in these away games? Is it the type of guys? Is it the coaching? What do you think? What can you give credit to? Melvin Gordon said the reason they're so good on the road is because they don't have any home games. Um, they, <laughs> they play nice. they play in StubHub Center, 27,000-seat soccer stadium. When, it's, when it is full, which is not always, um, it's usually 60 to 65% opposing fans. So Melvin Gordon said he actually kind of had an impassioned moment in the locker room the other day after the Denver game. And he said, all we know is fight this team. You know, we know we have a few Chargers fans, but San Diego's mad at us. And we know LA is sort of apathetic. He said, all we know is that no one, you know, we we're not a home team at our own home games and, and we're mad. We're backed up against the wall. And that's why we're so good on the road. All right. That makes sense. We definitely noticed a lot of Raven fans out there uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, Maryland law. So hard Two on Twitter asks, um, how will the Chargers adjust to our pass rush? It seems like Rivers was checking down a lot last game, but it wasn't working for him. Yeah, I would say more of the kind of passes out of the backfield, as I mentioned before. And also, I think the thing we did not touch on that I know has been talked about around the facility is Eric Weddle and Phillip Rivers had sort of that chess match going, and I think that they were both trying to outthink each other. And I think that it's possible Rivers might have gotten a little bit too involved with what he hasn't talked about it but just from watching the game and understanding what that relationship was like before and just the way that you know when I rewatched the game kind of his interactions or, or you know his kind of movements at the line it did seem like that was something that was in his head more than maybe uh maybe it even would have been for Weddle but I know it was a, a factor for Phil I know Chargers fans are not really crazy about Weddle's interview after the game. <laughs> I would say, you know, he just had some weird stuff here with his daughter's halftime performance and him staying on the field and just the way things ended. Uh, Chargers fans are, are not Eric Weddle fans anymore, it would, it would seem. All right. Uh, Garnett gets in and wonders if this would be the perfect time for the Ravens to try to switch up some schemes since it's been just a couple weeks since the Chargers. And then... Uh, for you, Sam, how would then the Chargers go into this game? Because they have to kind of practice and play with what beat them a couple weeks ago, but also prepare that the Ravens are going to change it. Right. And I think both coaches, both John Harbaugh and Anthony Lynn, have said they think it's sort of a wash. I can't tell if that's gamesmanship and positioning in the media or not. But I would say if, I mean, if, the Chargers are definitely going to change up some schemes as well. I mean, they're going to prepare for the pick stunts, and I would imagine, uh, as we talked about, that that won't right. be as big a factor as as it was in the first game. But this is sort of 
I mean, both teams are going to do that. I think that that's sort of, for me anyway, I mean, you'd have to give the advantage to the Ravens because they came up with the clearly the better scheme first. But to me, sort of the switching up of the schemes, it's going to happen on both teams. It's sort of a wash. Right. It kind of feels like, I guess, as we were talking the other day, that the Chargers have the advantage because uh, the Ravens could naturally just try to lean on what worked last time. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I, I did want to make one point here is that the Ravens, what's been really special about the last seven weeks is the Ravens have been adding components to their run game every single week, which is even though they played some really bad defenses and the Chargers, meaning the Chargers are the only good defense they've placed during the time, um, they've, they've added components every week that have made their running game a little less, little less uh, recognizable. And this last week against Cleveland, it was some wonderful designed runs up the middle by Lamar, and they, they pulled the left guard 22 times in the game, which is the most in any game I've ever scored. The record during the Harbaugh era was 19 otherwise for any player. All right. Right. And, and I think uh, that that is an interesting kind of proposition, I guess, for the Ravens to kind of lean on, on what they did before. What they add in the run game this week, I think, is going to be the most fascinating development because – you know, do they target those smaller second level guys? Do they target the weakness at the will? I mean, Hayes Pollard, I, it, it, the step from Denzel Perriman to Jatavis Brown was, I would say, significant, but not huge. The step from Jatavis Brown to Hayes Pollard, I believe, is 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 more significant, I, maybe even huge. Um, and, and he has shown he's not uh, Jeff Driscoll, uh, Cincinnati quarterback, kind of faked him out the other day. And if Jeff Driscoll is, is faking Hayes Pillard, you know, to the ground, uh, I would say Lamar is kind of licking his chops to get to that matchup. So <laughs> if they can add something to the run game and kind of go go at where they see the Chargers a week, uh, that'll pay dividends. Right, but at the same time, Lamar did get his 200 yards passing against you guys. So you, there's got to be a little – it seemed like going into the last game, the Chargers were very focused on stopping the run. And that seemed to open up some uh, some passing of the passing game for Lamar. Really high variance play there, of course, on the sixty-eight yard play to sure. Andrews being yes. being a third of that. Of course, right. And I think I mean the Chargers did focus on that. I mean I think they level rushed uh, uh, quite a bit more than they had um, in I want to say this season. I, I don't have the exact percentage, but uh, they level rushed quite a bit. And I think what you'll see. Can you explain this time, what you mean by a level rush? Yeah, so on the defensive line, um, you had Joey Bosa or Melvin Ingram. When they rushed, they would they would go into the chest of a of the offensive lineman, um, and they they did that along the defensive line, um, and that was so that they could make a play in either gap. Mm -hmm. um, in, so when Lamar would take off, if you know hypothetically he were to take off, Joey can make a play on the left or the right of the tackle or the guard. So we would call that two gapping if it was if it was a defensive tackle or nose tackle. They were taking right. almost a controlled rush lane. Exactly, exactly. They, the Chargers call it level rush. And so it's – so I think we saw a lot of that last time. But in order to stop the run – and obviously it could be easy for the Chargers to lean on what worked too. But if, if they're more serious about stopping the run at the first level, I think you'll see less level rushing uh, this time around. All right, well, that's all the mailbag questions. Again, they're coming on Twitter using the hashtag film study mailbag each week. Outstanding. Sam, really appreciate you being here. Thanks for taking a little extra time. I know we plan to get you out of here a little earlier. Appreciate you staying around. Oh, I appreciate you guys having me. This was a fun time. All right, thank you.
Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get everything for your next roofing project at Menards. Your roof is the first line of defense against the elements. Owens Corning Shingles are designed to offer long-lasting performance while providing ultimate protection. They have a limited lifetime warranty and up to a 130-mile-per-hour wind warranty. Choose from over 40 options designed to protect your home for years to come. Say big on Shingles at Menards. And don't forget to check out our weekly ad on Menards.com. Say big money at When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.